Welcome to the Plexus Podcast. Today, Brad Johnson and J.P. Novin are joined by Dr. Michael Allen, president of Barry University. Welcome to the Plexus Podcast series. We're so happy to have Dr. Michael Allen with us today from Barry University. Dr. Allen, how are you? I'm great, Brad. Thanks for having me. Of course, I guess first uh, we should congratulate you on uh, making the 2021 Power Leader in Education list uh, with uh, South Florida Business Times. So, congrats. Thanks, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm I'm not sure what kind of pressure that comes with, but it was it was a nice recognition. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, we are really eager to to hear from you to learn from you. Um, I know our audience will be really excited to hear about your background, to hear about Barry University. So. Let's go ahead and start things off, and maybe you can talk a little bit about your background and what led you to education and the presidency of Barry. Sure, H- happy to do that. I, it's, it's a fun question to answer for me because it always uh, starts with my parents, and I, I think a lot of people will, would say this about their career path, but in, in my case, uh, my father was a college professor, and he was a college professor for 40 years at, at the University of Connecticut. He was a psychologist, and, and my mother was a school teacher. So uh, not only higher ed, but education more broadly was always part of, of my life uh, as a kid and, and certainly led me to, to uh, wanting to work at a university and wanting to pursue this path. So uh, that's, that's where I started. Uh, my, my path to the presidency was, was certainly unique, I think, by most standards in that uh, my earlier years were spent in athletics. And you don't, you don't see that all that often, uh, you know, certainly spent um, first 15 to 20 years of, of my career working in college athletics. And what a lot of people might not see about that connection is, is just how, when you're an administrator in athletics, just how broad that role really is, right? And, and how much you touch every corner of a university. So you're, you're involved in recruiting, enrollment, you're involved in finances, you're obviously involved in the academic life uh, of your students, your involvement in facilities and projects and in alumni relations, right? So all of these things that in, in other sort of lanes of the university, you don't necessarily get that scope. So uh, from there, had the opportunity to move more into central administration and then was just um, so thrilled to, to be granted the opportunity to come here to Barry and uh, become the president. Uh, roughly, uh, roughly two years ago, I say it's been about eight months in a pandemic. So that's that's pretty much the, the the tenure so far. Well, let's talk about that athletic experience just for a minute. Um, sure. If you could give me a, what are a couple of attributes, you know, things that you learned on a day to day basis in athletics that you've been able to carry over uh, as the presidents, especially as as your day to day has evolved since you started in 2019. That's that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever gotten that one before. I think, I think one thing that w- occurs to me is there's, a, there's an intensity to athletics, right? There's an intensity and a competition. And, and that's the environment that we live in here. And I, I think we all personally, myself personally, try and stay very balanced in how we approach things. But, but that drive to constantly be thinking not only about what are we doing as a university, what are we doing as a program um, and in, it, to, to make ourselves better every day, what are our competition doing and, and, and what, what are they focusing on and, and how do we stay relevant and how do we stay one step ahead of all those who we're competing with for students and 
competing with for uh, support from, from local organizations and so forth. So uh, certainly the, uh, the competitive nature of, of athletics, I think, has, has probably, probably stuck with me, um, as has the, um, the fun and the excitement, if that makes sense. I think you know, running a university uh, should be fun and it should be exciting. And if you create an environment that has that type of, of enthusiasm and that type of energy uh, across all of its programs, it's one that, that people certainly want to gravitate towards. So there's a lot of good lessons uh, certainly came out of that time and in that space. Well, and you touched upon competition uh, and you know that, that the market is saturated um, especially in Florida, but especially as you look online, you know, now the competition expands. So can you talk a little bit about how Barry University competes in th and thrives in such a tough market? Yeah, uh, fantastic question. And as you can imagine, that's, that's where we spend a lot of our time is, is trying to, to figure that out. And we have a unique situation here in, in South Florida because there's, there's so many schools, right? So we don't, we don't completely compete against schools that look like us. Uh, we also compete against schools that are wonderful institutions, but very different, like Florida International, that's right here in our backyard, even Miami-Dade College, um, that, that's right here, very different institutions than, than Barry, but with, with, um, with a lot of great programs. So it's, it's how do you differentiate yourself in that space? I think for us, we try and, 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 and really emphasize an important combination, which is one of affordability, which is becoming more and more important to families. And I think in the private space, there's a lot of messaging that's needed there to, because we are very affordable and we, we work very hard to make a Barry education as reasonable and as affordable for our students as we can, but it's not always about sticker price, right? There's so many scholarships, there's so much financial aid that goes out to help and support students. We need to tell that story, but then we need to couple that with the value added of a Barry experience and then a Barry degree. And that experience is, is very personalized and it's very personal, meaning students who come here will, will be taught by faculty. They will know their faculty members. They will be supported and engaged in every way possible in terms of a, a small learning environment. And that's not something that, that everybody else can offer. So that's a real differentiator for us. We really want to emphasize that. And then staying on that theme of value added, it's we're going to get you a job. We're going to get you a good internship. We're going to get you a job. We're in this amazing, booming city that's growing at a rate that's probably faster than, than perhaps any other city in, in the country. And that's a great advantage. So it's, it's that coupling of a message of, Yes, we will make this experience affordable for you and we will work to make sure that that happens, but there's gonna be great value there uh, once you come and, and once you experience a Barry education. So today, where are you seeing growth today? Uh, you know, maybe you can weave in diversity, maybe it's online. Sure. Maybe it's traditional, where are you seeing growth overall? Sure, we're, we're in, again, we're in a unique situation. There's, there's nothing normal about now. So I'm gonna answer your question but it's almost irrelevant because the, everything's so in flux. I mean, it's just, we're, we're all living this. So, so it, it, it starts to become normal, but when you step back and look at what's happening and what's transpired, nothing's normal, right? The, the year over year numbers, the comparisons, they just don't mean what they've meant in the past. But 
For us, we feel very blessed that we've had more students, more total students each of the last two years than the year before uh, during a global pandemic. And not a lot of uh, institutions can say that right now. So we feel very fortunate in that regard. We've seen a weird trend, but it's predictable where the first fall of the pandemic, fall 2020, we saw a heavy uptick in local students, students who perhaps may have traveled out of state to go to college, who chose to stay closer to home. This latest fall, fall 21, we saw that flip. So people were more inclined to be willing to travel again, but out of, our out-of-state numbers went way up. So people, you could see sort of the national trends changing, people more comfortable leaving home. And for whatever reason, uh, I, I think we know some of the reasons, the whole country seems to be moving to Florida. Uh, we have about, a, a th literally, I think the stats are around 1,000 new people a day. I think the pandemic has, has shed a light for a lot of people, not for everybody, that just the opportunity to be outside, um, to be able to, to just have, have the nicer weather, uh, the vibrancy and the, and the diversity of what we're seeing here in South Florida has just become very attractive to people. And to be honest, Barry's been a beneficiary of that. So we, we feel very blessed in that regard. So, you know, you talked about diversity and, and your institution is very diverse. Mm -hmm. um, you have many, you know, communities on, on campus. Can you talk a little bit about the strategies today and going forward to help, um, you know, enhance and complement um, that really strategic vision and goal of diversity? And sure. then could you tie that into how you're engaging alumni? Sure. Uh, great, great question. You know, we are uh, one of the most diverse communities you could ever imagine. Um, over 80% over of our students identify as students of color. Um, we have great diversity amongst our faculty and staff. Uh, we have students from over 80 different countries. So those facts alone make us kind of unique. And they also make us beautiful. It is, it is a beautiful collection of, of people from, from all over the world, from unique backgrounds, unique cultures and communities. So we really try and dive in and, and embrace that. Um, if, you, if you research Barry or read up on us, we've always been, been a leader in this space. And, and it's really a point of great pride. Um, we, we have four core commitments and they're grounded in this concept of creating an inclusive community that's, that, that fights for and advocates for social justice all through collaborative service. And, and you see that, that notion of, of, of advocating for social justice through service really permeates everything that we do. It, it permeates our, the, the life of a student here it permeates how our faculty and staff spend their time. So it, it's, a, as I said, it's a, it's a great source of pride for us. We launched, uh, Brad, a new group last year called the Anti-Racism and Equity Coalition. And this is a group that's, that's led by um, our former Dean of the School of Social Work, Dr. Phyllis Scott. And it's, it's a, it's a, it has widespread representation on campus and its goals are really to have a lasting impact. And I think I've fallen into this trap over the course of my career. I think a lot of folks have is we're reactionary, right? We're reactionary. These, these horrific things happen. They garner significant public attention like, like happened uh, you know, over the past two years or so. And we react, but then we don't have the staying power. And one of the things that we're committed to here at Barry and, and through our, this, this anti-racism and equity coalition is, is having a sustained approach 
to, to making a difference in our communities, both locally and nationally, uh, whether it's through um, advocating for voting rights or access to healthcare or police reform. We have so much expertise on our campus. What this coalition is allowing us to do is really bring this expertise together and reach out and, and try and make a difference. So I'm um, very proud of the work that we do here. And, and I think one of the best, you, you asked about alumni, you know, certainly our, our alumni are our best ambassadors. And one of the expressions that, that I overuse, but, but it's so true about our alumni is that our alums do well, but they also do good. And, and, and it's, it's so true that the examples of this are, are just countless. And every time I meet an alum out on the road, they, they have these really cool careers and exciting things that they're doing, but they also give back through, through, through their time, through their energy, through their families. And um, it's, it's very heartwarming to see sort of the mission of the education that they received during their time at Barry live out for the decades of their lives professionally. Uh, after they leave us. And since Brad asked you about the alum, one is really famous. You have a lot of famous ones, but, but as a basketball fan, tell us about Shaquille O'Neal. Sure. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, Shaquille is one of our alums. He earned his doctorate uh, from our School of Education. Uh, there's a famous picture. Sister, Sister Linda, my predecessor, is is, is uh, very big in stature, but she's kind of tiny. And he lifted her right up on the stage and it was a pretty incredible moment. Uh, but, but he worked for it. Um, he, he, he earned that degree. And um, I know everyone was really impressed with, with just um, his work ethic and his commit, commitment to his own education. So uh, very proud of, of him as, alum, as an alum and proud of all the work that he's done. And, He's another example, if, if you really sort of peel things back with Shaquille, the work that he's done um, to support uh, police and others and, and so many things that he does in the community, I think he's just another great example of, of our alums out there uh, really making a difference. He called the office once after I, shortly after I got the job, I thought it was a joke, but they patched him through and you know, it's, it's an unmistakable, unmistakable voice, right? When he calls in, he's just like, hey doc, Sort of like we've known each other our whole lives and it was it was great to, to hear from him and and we're very proud of him brad i had to ask for that you know me on oh. basketball so <laughs> you gotta you, ask you, that. you, you won't you, you you're just fine at bringing up sports questions with me we can talk all day <laughs> wonderful so speaking of sports um how many how many student athletes do you have Sure, we have, we have uh, 12 varsity sports here, division two sports. We're in the Sunshine State Athletic Conference, which is probably the elite or one of the elite division two conferences in the country. Uh, we have, I think we're up to 24 national championships. Wow. Uh, we won two last year in, in uh, men, men's and women's tennis. And uh, we are routinely in the top 10 in, in pretty much all of our sports on a rotating basis. So very much a point of pride for us. Uh, I don't know how much you follow Division Two, but uh, I've had the, the pleasure of sort of being at a high-end Division One school, Division Two, and Division Three, and I can tell you that that our teams and our athletes really can can compete with pretty much anybody um, in terms of talent and, and their their work ethic. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, we're good at the warm weather stuff, right? Like like golf, <laughs> tennis, all those kind of things. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wish I could say that about golf. I go, I get my money's worth. Let's just say that. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, so speaking of athletics and the student student athlete, um, when you look at student success, generally speaking, a couple of things. How would you define student success? And for athletes, what are your tips to make sure that they are retained? Sure. Uh, great question. And again, something that we, we think about all the time is, is promoting the success of our students. For me to answer that question the, the best way, I think you have to back up to know who our students are. Uh, a heavy majority of our students are the first in their families to go to college. About 70% of our undergraduate students are Pell Grant eligible. Um, would suggest a family income of, of roughly $60,000 or less. Um, they, have, they have jobs, often multiple jobs to stay here. They, they, the commitment that it takes for them and their families to be here is enormous. And so because of that, it's, it's challenging, but it also in some ways means more, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's such an investment for them. And one of the best indicators that I love is that the average graduate for us, when they come to graduation, brings 11 guests, the, the average graduate, right? So yeah, you know, three, four generations of people supporting uh, these graduates and recognizing their accomplishments. So, so for, for us, seeing our students persist to graduation is, is, is a wonderful indicator of success. And then of course, seeing that springboard them into their careers and, and their job paths is, is, is what we ultimately wanna see. But, but it's that, it, it's getting over those hurdles which and challenges along the way when, when students have those circumstances that I described. Um, I think that's really how we define success. And, and you mentioned the athletes. Uh, it, it's not uncommon and I think it is a, a, a very often a misperception. Um, our athletes are some of our best students. Um, they have they have some of the highest GPAs, and they certainly retain and graduate at some of the highest levels for us. So now, if you look ahead, where do you see Barry University in ten years? Sure, you know it's 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 such an interesting question to answer now because th things have shifted in in terms of what what what's the pecking order of what's important, right? Like. You saw, the question ultimately is, what do students want to study and what does industry need, right? It's aligning those two things. So what do students want to study coming in and then where are the jobs going to be and, and, and making sure you're aligned with the right programs? That's certainly still our goal. We, we've been forced to back up a little bit and answer the question of how are students going to learn, right? What's the, what's the modality of, of, of how students are going to learn? And we know the answer is, is a mix, right? Like, so, so for the longest time, I think everybody felt like this, um, I'll call it the online revolution was upon us, right? Like everyone was calling for the demise of higher education. Um, right. the, the, everything was gonna be automated. Everything was gonna be online. It was too convenient to, to do otherwise. And all of a sudden, one year into that type of environment and all anybody wanted to do was to come back in person. So it was a really interesting, I think, uh, uh, realization for an entire industry that the answer to the, to the how question sits somewhere, it is very nuanced. And it sits somewhere in the middle of all this. We've learned and we've developed technologies 
to be much more sophisticated in how we deliver online education. And I say that for schools like Barry, that was, we were, we were in the online space like everybody, but, but, but marginally. And now obviously through the pandemic, every classroom is configured to teach a class virtually if we have to. And that's a great asset and one that we wanna take advantage of. But as I said, the, the desire, the very clear desire for students to want to be in person, at least partially for their classes, I think came across loud and clear as well. So, so this really fun dilemma has emerged of what's the right, what's the right combination for all of this? And how do you match it with the strength of your faculty, with the interests of your students, and with the programs that you're going to offer? Mm -hmm. So, so the answer to your question is, is, is finding that right that right balance, finding that right path of the right academic programs that align with industry in the, in the modalities that make the best sense for our students. And when we build out, you know, we're, we're, we're kicking off our strate a strategic plan uh, exercise, and that's really what it's gonna be about is, is merging the, those key factors. Mm -hmm. It's fun, it's fun it, it, as, as someone who likes to, likes to think in innovative ways and, and likes to explore new ways of doing things. It's, it's a great challenge, but there's no question that it's a challenge because it's, 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 it's all new and we don't know where it's going to land. Dr. Allen, you, you joined in 2019. So this is a relatively a, a new role. Uh, how did you, what was that transition? How did you go from your past job? Uh, this, is this your first president job, I assume, right? So yep. Uh, how did you get to the shop um, and, and what inspired you to get here? Sure. I, you know, it's, 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 um, it's one of those things that just kind of evolved. Um, I like to say, and, and I mean it about this one, that each of the last, I'll call it three jobs that I took, I took thinking, I love this job and I could keep doing this job. And if this, if, if my career ended with this job, I'd be very happy. But as, as you get more comfortable in a role and, and I, I always joke, I, each at each stage of your career, you start to look at 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 your boss and sort of say, "Well, what do they do?" And like, "Could I do that? Do I want to do that?" And I've been blessed with a lot of great great uh, mentors along the way. And each step of the way, I got to that point where I started to think, you know, I, I think I, I think I have the skill set and the interest to 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 take that next step. But as you know, presidencies are aren't necessarily just about skill set; they're about fit. And, and, and the right kind of fit. And Barry and I have, have just been a phenomenal fit so far. I think, it, and it starts with what's, what was it, what is and what was at the time I was hired important to Barry, what was important to our board, what was important to our uh, religious sponsor, the Adrian Dominican Sisters, those values aligned almost perfectly with my own and, and what they wanted to accomplish and, and the students we serve really fit with my own goals and aspirations. Certainly my expertise, if, if you wanna call it that, also aligned with what I think Barry really needed at the time and still needs, which is a heavy focus on strengthening our overall business model. And the business model for schools like Barry right now, you know, it's small, medium-sized private schools is about building and stabilizing enrollment, 
It's about retaining our students and it's about build, you know, generating and diversifying our revenue through external relations and fundraising. And, I, and it's hard for people, and I don't even like to do it, to talk about this beautiful process of, of education in such business terms. But the reality is we are running businesses and higher ed has, has become a very complex business and th that the business nature of that really matched with my skills. And when you can build that business model and strengthen it, it then allows us to do all the wonderful things that we do as educators. But if we can't build that model out, we can't, we can't exist the way we want to. We can't educate students the way that they deserve to be educated. So those two things really have to go together. And, and to answer your question, JP, I think it was just a, a nice fit uh, at the right time. Uh, a, a funny story in, from a, just a fate standpoint, these, these, these searches are long and drawn out. They go for months. And I, you know, I sent my materials to the search firm and a few months had gone by and it hadn't heard anything. So I called just to check in with the search firm or just to say, oh, let's just close the loop on this. And the search firm said, well, we don't have your materials. I had had a conversation with them, so I know they had my materials, but somehow they had gone, gone awry and they're like, well, we're, we're, missing, we're meeting with the, the search committee tomorrow. Can you resend them? So for no reason other than I got to the office and I was like, let me just check in on this. I made that call and otherwise the materials never would have even gotten looked at and, and I'd be somewhere very different right now. So kind of felt like it was meant to be when I, when I look back on that story and how it all materialized. So it is truly faith. <laughs> Feels that yeah. way a little bit. The, the, the school has been around since 1940s, mm -hmm. started as an all-woman college. Could you share with our audience that journey that this school has gone through from its inception to today? Sure. I, I, think, I think the way I would describe it is it, it's, it's been a very steady build for, for the 80 years or so that we've been around. Um, you mentioned, like a lot of schools, it started as, as a, a, a single uh, sex institution, as, as a women's college, and then it evolved into a co-ed college, then in, in, and then a co-ed university. And what a lot of people don't recognize or appreciate is just how comprehensive of a university we become today from that school that started in 1940. So we're up to over 7,000 total students we have traditional undergraduate programs with a residential experience. We have some of the most elite uh, master's programs in the country. We have one of the top ranked biomedical sciences program. Uh, we have a fabulous uh, MBA program, other programs in the health sciences, physician assistants, uh, anesthesiology, uh, many others, uh, PhD programs in social work and business and uh, education and uh, so many others. Then we have a school of law in Orlando, and we have a school of podiatry uh, medical school, one of only uh, 10 in the country uh, right here on our campus in Miami Shores. So all of those things, JP, sort of added in over time from the time that we were founded to, to build out this, this uh, wonderful comprehensive university that we are today. And it presents its own challenges, right? I, I think there's not a, a president or a board or, or a university right now that doesn't 
worry that we're trying to be too many things and to too many people and, and at, all, at all times, but we're doing a pretty good job of, of figuring out what we're good at and, and making sure that we put our resources behind that. But it, it's, it's a fun story of how this has evolved. And many of those values that I talked about earlier, those core commitments that I mentioned were our founding core commitments. Um, they weren't always stated exactly the same, but when you follow the history of Barry, uh, those, those were our, our, our core values and they remain our core values here today. So it's, it's, a, it's a very fun, warm university to be a part of. Well, it's not easy as Brad mentioned, and, and you also touched on that, to, to grow in, in an environment where obviously there's been a decline in birth rates for college students and the job market has been super hot. So some people have actually are skipping college in mm -hmm. these days. But, you know, we, we Plexus as an organization does ranking of universities for pretty much every major every year. And for 20, 2021, 2022 is coming soon. I was surprised to find the, the following ranking for your school in Florida. So there are multiple Catholic and faith-based institutions you came out as the number one top faith-based institution college in the state of Florida, right? So we haven't touched upon that a lot, but could you go a little bit deeper on what makes your campus so unique and so highly prestigious as a faith-based college? Sure. Th thanks, for, thanks for bringing up that, that wonderful statistic. I got to get better about uh, bragging about ourselves. You sure? <laughs> you know, I, I have to, it's a very easy answer. And, and I think it's never proven more true than the pandemic. The, the answer for our excellence and, and where that comes from is, is in, our, in our faculty and staff. And I, and I mean that with all sincerity. Uh, we have an incredible faculty who are experts in their field. And they're some of the best in the country at what they do. But what I think creates the, some of those recognitions that you just mentioned is their commitment. And, and never has that been on more display than in the last 19 months. I mean, I mean I've been at this almost three decades now and I, I still get a little emotional talking about what it took to manage what we've, what we've all been through. And, and we're not unique. Every school, every organization has gone through some real trials, but we pivoted thousand courses in a week to online back in March 2020. We built out a, a flex learning environment that's been in place, was in place for an entire academic year last fall and spring. And when you talk to our students, almost unequivocally, they'll say, yeah, it wasn't everything that I wanted, but it was absolutely everything that it could possibly be given the circumstances. And, and that was our faculty. They made that happen in our staff. I mean, people are are exhausted. They're worn down. They, you know, the 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 variant in August after we thought we were out of it to reboot again this fall with the enthusiasm and the energy that they've they brought every day to work. It it's I feel like it's unique. I really do. I feel like it's unique to us and people here. Just it's amazing how they say yes. To things and 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 when when opportunities come up when opportunities come up to engage with our community uh, we have these amazing partnerships with nonprofits all throughout South Florida Big Brothers Big Sisters United Way um, an organization called the Miami Center for Racial Justice that's that's forming 
um, Casa Familia, just so many of these organizations that are, are these wonderful partnerships because people have added them on to their already heavy workload of teaching and research and everything else that they do. Um, these are the kind of things that make a difference. And they're the kind of things that give our students the opportunity to get out and to learn and, and through experiential learning and to engage in ways that are so positive for their development. So uh, the answer to your question is very simple. It's, it's our people and, and, and their approach to their jobs and, and their commitment to making sure that our students get everything they deserve. And, and one of those people that, that, that is making a difference is Dr. Sean Foreman. I, I, congratulations. I know he was recently named the Public Educator of the Year um, by the American Society for Public Administration. So you all have a lot of, as you mentioned, academic heavyweights, and, and you focus on that a lot. Um, I don't want to get back to the question of finance because this past year has been tough and we've spoken to, I don't know, 30, 40 presidents in just the last 12 months about this very matter because the care, it doesn't look like there's going to be a CARE Act package for this coming year, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when, you, when we look at university finances, obviously the auxiliary business is one aspect of it right, mm -hmm. which, which was hurt. Um, so how, how do you foresee COVID and 2022 as, as a university president? I'm sure that's one of the top issues that you all are grappling with. Sure, I, I think to answer that question, we have to go back to the very beginning of the pandemic. And, and it was hard for everybody to, to understand that this wasn't your everyday crisis. The first round of conversations about the pandemic sounded like the same debates that we always have in higher education, right? That we, the, the, even in the most harmonious university communities, there's always friction and, and we're not immune to that at all. And it's sort of, it, was, it was sort of sounding like that to me. And I brought the campus together and I just said, look, this is, this is different. It's just, it's just different. And again, I gave everybody so much credit because we recognized that. But we said to our board at the time, look, we could be fine or we could have an insurmountable problem. I mean, that's really what we were confronting back in March 2020, May 2020. We just didn't know. Fortunately for us, as I mentioned, um, our enrollment really remained strong. Uh, we also did something that was a little different, which was we never cleared our campus entirely. Um, part of this has to do with the nature of our student population. Part of this also has to do simply with, um, it felt like the right thing to do to allow our students to continue to stay on campus. Um, they were being incredibly responsible. I'm not perfect by any stretch, but responsible in, in the approach to COVID and know, knowing what we knew about the, the generational age impacts of COVID even early on, it just made sense to keep our students on campus. So. Like everybody, uh, we took a, a pretty big uh, hit financially on the auxiliary side of things. Um, as I mentioned, the enrollment held pretty strong and we're near full capacity in our housing uh, for this past fall. So uh, we had to uh, do a little bit of juggling when the variant popped up. I mean, I thought we, I think we all thought life would just be normal come this fall when we, when we were in like May, June, July, uh, the vaccine was working. It, it, things felt like we might just be out of this. 
when that kicked back up again, we had to make some adjustments, for example, creating quarantine, recreating quarantine space and so forth. So um, we are far from out of the financial woods. And I think the fallout for us that we don't know the answer to yet is what's happening with families and what's happening in our communities. Because if a lot of the stimulus money that came through, half of it and more in some cases went directly to students as it should have. I, you know, I'm, I was thrilled that we could be a conduit to put money into the hands of our students and, and their families, um, hopefully to help them continue their education. Um, but that, that, as you noted, is running out or appears to be running out. It doesn't appear, appear to be a priority. So what does that do to our students and family who are, families who are already working incredibly hard to, to, to make their education possible? I think that's a bit of an X factor right now. And we're seeing that play out anecdotally, um, but it'll start to get quantified pretty soon in terms of um, folks' ability to sort of to keep their education going continuously given all the financial instability that we're seeing uh, as, as a result of the pandemic. And, and thanks, for, thanks for that. And, and I know safety is obviously a big issue. Yep. Another big issue in, in education has always been equity. And, and you mentioned that when 11 people come to a graduation, that's a very big family milestone for a lot of people. So I think there's an issue here. There's a discussion about COVID and equity, right? Because very often what the data is starting to show, both quantitative and qualitative data that we've actually looked at, is students who are struggling the most have been hurt the most as well. And so um, given the population that you're serving and your passion towards equity, um, you know, there's been test optional discussions, there's been stimulus discussions, there's been retention discussions because retention has taken a hit. Um, we, you know, I, I think our, our audience will be very curious about how do you look at it as a president of a campus at, and, and, and at Bayer University? Sure, you, you described it very well and it's what we're living and it's, um, it's, a, it's a really troubling, outcome, I think, of, of the pandemic that hasn't been talked about nearly enough, which is that the, the inequality gap has without question grown. And, and, and that is, um, it, it was already at a problematic point. I think we're seeing that even more now uh, as, as we come out of, of the pandemic. And, and, and without question, one of the, 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 the best uh, bridgers of that gap is education and, and opportunity for education. So there's, there's a lot happening both federally and at our state level that circle back to access to education. And we just like with the stimulus packages, we're watching very closely what's happening in Washington. And there, there's, there's aspects of, of some of these proposals that are out there that would solve a lot, or at least make great strides to solve a lot of what you're referencing, particularly the, the idea that we should double or even triple uh, Pell Grants for, for students who, who qualify for Pell Grants. That single uh, adjustment would, would go a really long way to helping make an education possible for students here at Barry and elsewhere who really deserve it. And, and you'd be giving deserving students a path, a legitimate path for social mobility that may not exist right now. And I think a lot of people don't realize 
Pell Grants, the, the beauty of the Pell Grant is the flexibility in which it can be used. And, and the, uh, the, the fact that it allows students to use that funding for the school that makes the most sense for them and that they and their families decide gives them the best opportunity for academic and personal success. And it, it's the single best way for us to help these students and help address uh, the inequality gap. So uh, we're hoping some of those things will, will, uh, will pass because we know from talking to our students and their families that, that they really uh, need that help. So we're, we're keeping a close eye on that and, and, and just working with families to, to say that, look, even if it means you, ha you, know, you have to take a semester off to regroup a little bit financially, don't let that be the end of your pursuit of a degree. Okay, don't let that, that, that mean that you can, can't take that semester off and, and pick right back where you left off. Okay, this is, this is a different kind of time and we need to be working very closely with our students and, and their families to make sure that that education remains accessible and that opportunity remains very real for them. So one last question. Obviously, I could talk, we could talk with you. It's such a pleasure talking to Dr. Allen um, for a long time, especially if we start a sports thing. But I, I do want to <laughs> ask this last question. So just for our audience, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much is invested in our knowledge economy, just, just to keep it moving, right? So uh, we actually did an independent study looking at all the data we spent over $1.1 trillion between uh, states and federal across the country to run our K-12 and post-secondary institutions. So it's a lot of money. That doesn't count money that gets reinvested by colleges and universities into the system and by private sector and all of that. So a lot of money goes into it. Um, and that's what has really kept us competitive, right? So when we think, when you think about you know, the coming of AI and the changing landscapes. Um, why should students consider Barrow University seriously as an option to think about their future? Sure, I, I mean, I think it goes back to sort of the totality of the conversation that we just had yes. and, and how we prepare uh, students. And it's not just about their field, but it's about their ability to think, their ability to problem solve, um, and in their outlook um, of the world, their worldview as, as they leave us and go out into whatever field they become experts in. You raise a great point. Universities need to get better and, and more sophisticated at matching the pace of industry, right? Where you were notoriously slow, right? Or no universities are notoriously like ocean liners and industry is speedboats and jet skis flying all around. We need to get better at matching our programs. And, and you mentioned the tech fields, but, but as we grow in AI and as we grow in tech, uh, I have, we have a faculty member who I'm, who I'm quoting is gonna say, we still need all of these other people out there making sure these things are implemented the right way. We need economists, we need ethicists, we need political scientists, we need historians to make sure that, that all of these new technologies are implemented and the infrastructure around them are built out in a way that will allow our economy to thrive. So that's what we do here at Barry, is, is we produce those thinkers, uh, we produce those experts that can really go out and make a difference. And uh, hopefully, hopefully many of them will listen to your podcast and, and give us a look. If, if they visit, they wanna come.
it's, it's, it's a given. So we just got to get them to campus and, and I guarantee they'll like what they see. Well, I'll tell you, we'll want to come out and visit as a next step. So great. We'd love it. Thank you very much. Well, hey, it was a true pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. My, my, my pleasure. Great to be with you both and, and good luck with the, the podcast and the business. Excellent. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, you can visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P-L-E-X-U-S-S dot com forward slash solutions. Or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com.